regulated. One, two, one, two, three, four. This podcast focuses on regulatory and corporate developments in highly regulated spaces. I'm Christian Bax, and I used to regulate medical marijuana. I'm Tony Glover, and I used to regulate alcoholic beverages and casino gambling. Now together, we're regulated. Welcome back to another week of Shut In Regulated. Tony is uh, on the horn remotely. We're doing a, another squad cast. And we've got a couple more stories that are uh, in that in that Venn diagram intersection between regulated industries and coronavirus updates. And so today, Tony, how is uh, how's life on the on the side of, of daddy daycare and regulatory attorney? Well, Christian, first off, I'd appreciate it if you could keep it down a little bit because my daughter's <laughs> my daughter's napping in the next room. So uh, don't be again, don't be surprised if we have a special guest host this week. <laughs> nice. Uh, how, are, how are you finding the uh, have you gotten more efficient at at being the parent slash lawyer uh, during quarantine? No, no. <laughs> well, look, here's the reality. Um, and, you know, and there are people who have three, four five kids that are dealing with this. I only have one. She's three and a half. So, you know, that that's a blessing. But the reality is that this is, has turned into a seven day a week job. I work on Saturdays and Sundays now. It just is what it is. So I'm, I'm having to burn the candle on both ends. So my investment in sort of getting the public health aspect of this back in order is both both for out of general feelings and also specific feelings of of wanting to to stop running the Glover daycare here. Well, let's jump right into uh, into my story for today, which is a, a sneaky important story if you're if you serve the cannabis industry. So, a lot of people know what basically if if you're in business, if you're a small business today, you know what the Coronas Aid Relief and Economic Securities Act is, which is it, it's called CARES Act, and President Trump signed it late last month, and it provides a paycheck protection program that offers a significant amount of forgivable loans to companies with 500 or fewer companies. Okay. It's given out by the federal government. We all know how the federal government feels about marijuana and it's illegal. So they don't give money to businesses that touch the plant. I think everyone was on the same page as that. I don't think I've seen a lot of people on Twitter and things like Leafly, stuff that's a little bit more industry facing that have yelled a lot about that. But I, I think that that was expected. There's there's a SBA information notice, though, that's that's gotten a lot of attention in the last week that calls into question whether or not a much, much broader group of businesses have access to CARES Act uh, Paycheck Protection Program loans if they are serving the cannabis industry. So the best story I saw on this was from Marijuana Moment by a, a reporter named Kyle Yeager. What the situation is, is that the SBA put out an information notice in 2018. The information notice sought to clarify whether or not particular businesses are eligible for assistance under an SBA program. And the issue was that to direct marijuana businesses, Tony, obviously are excluded. The problem are uh, 
uh, indirect marijuana businesses were also excluded. And let me let me walk you through this list of four. So the first three are pretty obvious, I think, which are provide marijuana product testing services. Um, you're still touching the plant, even though you're not growing it. But that wasn't that much of a surprise. Okay, getting a little bit more attenuated, sell or install grow lights or hydroponic or other specialized growing equipment to direct marijuana businesses. Now, there are businesses that, that this is what they do. They install greenhouses, they install lights, they install HVAC systems. But if you're, if you're basically designing and building to spec and you're installing these in cannabis industries, you are swept up in this definition. Sell smoking devices, pipes, bongs, inhalants, or other products primarily designed, intended, or marketed to facilitate marijuana consumption. Now, keep in mind that that can be particular elements of your product offering. So, if you if you are a vape company, right, and you have you have products that have that are really not geared towards marijuana, but you have up this product offering, you, you, by having that product offering, you now fall within this definition. But the most troubling one, number four, you advise or counsel direct marijuana businesses on the specific legal, financial or accounting, policy, regulatory, or other operational issues specifically associated with establishing, promoting, or operating direct marijuana businesses. Now, there's an argument that attorneys, that CPAs, that management consultants, um, that you know, if a whole slew of professional service businesses are sucked into that definition, even if you have one client in that space. So, Tony, did your did the hair on the back of your neck stand up at all when when I read that fourth definition? Oh, absolutely, and that means that thousands, you know, potentially millions of regulated listeners are affected by this. It's not good. Yeah, and so that's that's a problem. So, the, I, this was shared with me from from another lawyer who operates in the space, and from there, I reached out to try to get my bearings on this issue, and I didn't talk to a single lawyer or accountant. Um, who had heard of this memo, which is a problem. It, it's important to you know realize a lot of people think that this clarification came out once the CARES Act was, was signed into law. And so you had all these questions, but nay, nay, this thing was around since 2018. The second thing, there are millions of people out there whose businesses touch the cannabis industry in some way. And most large professional services companies if you have a, a decent book of business in a legal state or even in a medical state, it's really not rare for you to have at least one cannabis client, which means that you have kind of by not publicizing this and and, and now SBA being such a such a kind of a mushroom of activity, you're gonna have a lot of people who meet this definition technically applying for the SBA loan. And then the question is, are they going to get rejected? Do you face downstream issues a year from now when they, somebody comes back and says, nah, you, you are a marijuana, you're an indirect marijuana business. You can have a problem with, with your loan. These, these questions are really not well flushed out. Right. And if you're paying attention, it, it is a little scary. Well, it's a tough situation because a key point of the Paycheck uh, Protection Program is that a certain percentage of the amount you take from the program is supposed to be forgivable. So if you 
submit an application in reliance of of a certain percentage of the money you're given being a grant, essentially, and you spend that money and don't have a plan to pay it back. If an inspector general or an auditor comes knocking at your door in 18 months and advises you that you now owe the federal government, you know, $400,000, $40,000, $4,000, whatever the amount is, that's going to be a big deal for you and your investors. Absolutely. So there's, it's not clear how this would get clawed back. At least it's not clear to me how this would get clawed back if the feds decided to take a very aggressive approach to this. But my thinking is that you, you're either going to have like selective spot enforcement of this if if they do decide to get serious, or you're just really not going to see enforcement of this because the numbers of people who are going to be caught up in this are just too great. The amount of money that you would have to claw back, I think would just be too great. There's just, there's not enough knowledge up front from the people who are applying for these SBA loans or people who are, are helping other people apply for these SBA loans. Um, practically, you're just, unless you catch it on the front end, which I don't think you will, because I think the SBA is, is just under a, uh, not an SBA, the lenders are just under a, a deluge of uh, applications right now. And that's not really the point, right? The point is to get this money out as quickly as possible, almost like a, you know, it, it's it's basically a, a stimulus. It's a grant rather than uh, a loan because most of these loans are forgivable. So the the front end kind of slow audit prior to giving you the money is really not, it doesn't really function with the purpose of the Paycheck Protection Program. Well, we talked a little bit offline about how, how difficult it's going to be because of how loosey-goosey the qualifications are, right? And I think what this program needs is uh, some future legislative action that's retroactive in nature that cleans up some of these rough edges and basically forgives people who purposefully or accidentally submitted applications that technically run afoul of one of these qualifications, um, particularly one that's in the weeds, pardon the pun, like this one. You know, a memo that was released sometime in 2018, that's, you know, frankly, difficult to find. Right. <laughs> so I, I hopefully the Congress comes back and, and makes some fixes here that includes cannabis businesses, this is specific, definitely the indirect businesses. I understand the argument for excluding direct. Of course, if, you know, if I was king, the, both of them would be included. Right. And of course, we would have dropped the money off directly from the from the United States Treasury as well. If I was king, that's why I'm not king, by the way. But, you know, hopefully we'll see Congress take some action. Right. And, you know, that not to beat this horse again, but it, this is just another element that why just this, this see no cannabis, hear no cannabis, speak no cannabis <laughs> from the federal government is, is just so problematic. So whether or not you're pro-cannabis, and I would assume most of the people who are listening to the show just because of the subject matter – at least have an open mind about it. This is the stupidest way that you could approach this, which is just complete, utter inaction because you are intentionally, just through your own negligence of policymaking, creating these chasmic gray areas that that create real problems for real people. And and you, you when you have a situation where like that doesn't matter, like we're dealing with much, much bigger issues than than cannabis. And people are trying to, you know, feed their families. They're trying to have their businesses survive. You have 
this this bullcrap that's just there just and it's only there it's only there this indirect business because the feds haven't stepped up and and tried to figure out how how to regulate uh, the legal cannabis yeah i agree 100% so it's unfortunate but you're seeing this in other sectors as well you know um the american gaming association association has spoken out and, and launched a lobbying effort and reached out to the white house on behalf of small gaming con- uh, companies who are found themselves frozen out of this this project. And and here's the deal. I mean, I understand the federal resistance to to certain gambling businesses and certain cannabis businesses, but it's not about that, right? It's about keeping Americans employed. So, I don't care whether you're a bud tender or a croupier or if you make you make slot machines in a in a warehouse in Iowa. It doesn't matter. We need you to be able to receive your paycheck so you can pay the rent, so your landlord can pay their mortgage, so the bank can make their their debt payments, so that the economy doesn't come crashing down. That's right. the bottom line. Right. So we need to widen this program. We need to do it now. Moving on to another corona-related story, Tony has an alcohol story for us. Yeah, this comes from the state of Pennsylvania, or it may be a commonwealth, actually. Um, and this is from Reason.com. Pennsylvania has made it both difficult and dangerous to buy liquor. Pennsylvania, a control state in which every liquor store is operated by the state, has some of the most onerous rules governing alcohol sales in the nation. Your favorite. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. As a guy who grew up in a control state and went to law school in a control state, I have some very defined thoughts about control states, but we'll dispense with those for the purposes of, of this, at least for now. State's response during the COVID-19 pandemic provides both an unfortunate reminder of the folly of giving the state government a near monopoly over liquor sales and an object lesson in how the closure of businesses in the name of public health can backfire. The shuttering of Pennsylvania state-run stores meant that for weeks it was nearly impossible to buy liquor legally within state borders. So Christian, let me ask you, if the state of Pennsylvania has closed down liquor stores, what do you think consumers in Pennsylvania are doing? Are they making gin in their bathtubs uh they might be uh, especially in some in some rural areas of the state but i mean my but, guess is i would get in my jeep and i would drive to the border and i would buy as much alcohol as i could and bring it back in the trunk of my car right so so back to the story that didn't just make it harder for pennsylvanians to buy liquor it also made it unusually dangerous, as the experience of liquor retailers across the border in New Jersey showed. As Matt Dongali, who's the president and CEO of the American Distilled Spirits Alliance, said, quote, it's counter to COVID-19 related containment measures to force people to travel long distances to crowded stores, unquote. Pennsylvania's closure of spirit stores sparked a similar effect inside of the state, with customers reportedly rushing to state-run stores the day before they closed, resulting in record sales. So the state shutdown of liquor stores didn't just inconvenience residents. It repeatedly created situations of presumably unsafe crowding. So here's the part that I think is really interesting. And this is the one I I really want to get your input on. And I have some questions about. So back to the story. Last week, the state announced that it would allow some sales through its online portal. But the state run website crashed almost immediately after opening, then stopped taking orders, citing overwhelming demand. The state's liquor control board subsequently announced a plan to reopen the online sales portal in a limited capacity with a smaller selection of wines and spirits available and a limit of six bottles per transaction in one order per customer per day. However, as of Monday afternoon, that was Monday of last week, the state was still displaying a message indicating that the store was not available at this time. So 
there was another report from penlive.com over the weekend. <laughs> I just want to read this quote to you and get some feedback from you. As of Friday morning, attempts to get into the online sales border, which is being opened randomly through the course of the day, was running at a success rate of about, of, about one in 1,000. So I want to ask you, Christian, does it make any sense for the state liquor store to open randomly <laughs> during the day? It's basically a lottery, right? No, of course I don't like that. I think it's ridiculous, but it's it's almost like you know you get a golden ticket in order to get alcohol. It's so it's so it's so stupid. Have you seen the uh, the Twitter video going around where it's this guy out jogging in just some random suburb, right? And he looks at the camera prior to like starting his jog, and he's like, "It's recycling day," and so he goes <laughs> he goes to everybody's recycling bin. It's not like not being intrusive or anything. It's just all out on the street. And it's extremely obvious why he's doing this, what his take is, because every single person's recycling bin on the block is just completely full of glass, wine, beer, liquor containers, right? People, you you have to allow people some outlet when you're confining them to their homes for weeks, perhaps months, right? One of those outlets is alcohol, is being able to drink a glass of wine, um, and just kind of chill. And the fact that that this is is just if the, if you're in Pennsylvania, you have to be absolutely pulling your hair out, furious at this situation right now. So you know, I'm a fan of lotteries, right? I, I participate in Florida's liquor license lottery every year, but that lottery makes sense, right? Because you you essentially purchase a ticket, you enter the lottery. There's a there's a procedure for it. It's you know, it has a random selection element. But it's it's governed by procedure. The idea that there is an, an IT person uh, sitting in the state capitol just at three thirty, randomly flipping a switch for forty five minutes, <laughs> and if you just happen to be lucky enough to be by your your MacBook and, and and decide to check in to see if you can order, seems preposterous to me. It's it's been it's pretty clear to me that Governor Wolf has blown this response. The fact that Pennsylvania has such a tight control on liquor sales. I mean, this is a serious problem. The state clearly wasn't prepared for this, and hopefully they fix it. And so what you're seeing now is, you know, people are questioning in newspapers and online, is it time to privatize the entire system, right? And I I won't weigh in heavily on the privatization uh, discussion, but I think you can imagine how I feel about it. I mean, what... So if you're, I'll tell you who really does want uh, Pennsylvania to privatize are people who live in Baltimore or in Cherry Hill, uh, who are absolutely probably, they're probably out of uh, liquor themselves just because they're, they're border town. Like if you're Cherry Hill, you're, you're a 20 minute drive from Philadelphia and you, you probably have no liquor in your entire, um, in your entire city right now. I, that's just a guess. Well, this is interesting. So, you know, the Northeast, I mean, the entire Northeast is basically border states, right? Everybody's on the border of everybody else. One county in West Virginia has already barred Pennsylvanians from purchasing liquor at their liquor stores. Uh, and and not because it was a, a bah humbug, like, you know, screw them type mentality. It was a, a public health situation. We don't need people driving from, you know, we're, we're near the border of Florida and Georgia. I don't want people driving from Savannah. <laughs> Coming down here and bringing whatever they brought with them in terms of in terms of potential infections into the state. I would love to interview the IT guy for Pennsylvania as to kind of how he decides when he's going to turn it on, 
whether or not he may be in a couple text chains with his buddy you know, buddies was like yeah this is it's about to go you, you know that they're 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 letting their friends know when they're about to turn the machine on to- well, i i imagine um uh <laughs> he he sits in his office he puts his feet up he pours another glass of 18 year old scotch <laughs> from the private selection <laughs> And says, "Okay, let's go live." <laughs> but I mean, so like, if people are if people are pulling crap with hand sanitizer and with masks, you know, you know, there are people in Pittsburgh and Philly who have rented U-Haul trucks and who have gone to Morgantown or Rockville or Baltimore and have have come back with U-Haul trucks full of as much liquor as they could buy. And there's a you know a secondary market now, an illegal secondary market. For for booze in Pennsylvania for for no other reason than just regulatory constipation. It's crazy. Well, I, I can tell you it's the wild, wild west, particularly on social media right now. Um, so just here in Florida, you know, generally speaking, um, the state enforcement group keeps an eye on social media. Daddy. Yes. What's going on? OK, <laughs> do you want to come say hello to the podcast? Come on, say hello into the microphone. OK. Say hello. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Are you, there you go. Who are you? I, I, my name is Christian, and I live in Tallahassee. How are you? I live in Tallahassee a long time. <laughs> you, have, you haven't been in Tallahassee a long time? Yes. Now, where do you, you live now? At Jacksonville. Jacksonville, yeah. Jacksonville. Okay. How do you like? Do you like Tallahassee or Jacksonville? I need you to. Yeah, okay, hold on, hold on. I was about to say, you know, I this is something that that personally just bothers me because um, I I'm not a big drinker. So I'm 35. You know, I had I had my fun in college and and law school, and you know, it was it was great. But now, like, I don't drink more than maybe a drink, sometimes two when I go out. It's just I'm just not a big drinker, and I don't ever drink at my house. But I'll tell you what I've done twice in the last three weeks and that is just like basically kill an entire bottle by myself because it's like (laughs) if you're if you're alone right which is which is me right now so like i'm i'm by myself in my house on a in a quarantine right it's freaking boring like you can watch netflix you can work but like sometimes you just like look across the the room and there's like oh there's a bottle of wine or, you know, bottle it, bother some other kind of spirit. And it's just like, you know what? Fine. Right. We're going to do this. And and it's like you have people who – not just boredom, but people who actually enjoy that. And it's just like for no reason. You're just – you're preventing them from being able to, to just do this very basic thing that we've been doing for 20,000 years. Well, um you know, before I was interrupted by my daughter, and I don't know if the listeners will hear that. We may edit out a portion of that because she had an extended co-hosting uh, run talking to Christian on the microphone. But um, we were talking about some of the enforcement challenges right now. And it, candidly, you know, Christian, you raised the point of uh, the possibility of making money on the secondary market. If you've got a bottle of whistle pig, you know, can you sell it to your neighbor right now if you're in Pennsylvania? Social media is the wild, wild west right now. If you go on Craigslist, if you go on uh, Instagram, I've seen it on Facebook. Um, there are people selling cocktails, you know, 
two liter cocktail packages. Um, people were selling, you know, rare craft beers or sought after craft beers from other states and six packs and 12 packs and cases. Um, there's all sorts of stuff going on. Generally speaking, AB&T here in Florida, I know does a great job of staying on Craigslist and other places, you know, use caution. The AB&T agents are looking for st- activity like that. You know what I was just thinking? I was just thinking like if ever there was a time, if you were a little sneaky and you were like, I really want to do this jello shot business, you know, I really want to push the regulatory envelope of whether or not jello shots are technically a drink and whether or not you could technically sell them out of a storefront. That, that now is the time, man. Push push the Jello shot business. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, this you, is a reminder. Tony and I are lawyers. We are not your lawyer, so do not. Do, this is not legal advice. But <laughs> I'd be interested to see if there's go on Craigslist and if there are like Jello shots for sale. What, what we're probably going to do is. Miss you. It, 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 it may be wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> well, you wait a minute. <laughs> you wait a minute. You wait a minute. Well. <laughs> I guess it's time for us to cut, but I, I, I will say this. I think I'm going to, I'm going to go on social media and find some of these advertisements and we'll blur out the name and identity of the posters, but just so you can have an idea of what's going on on social media. I mean, I, I remarked on Facebook that people aren't even using burner accounts to advertise their illegal alcohol businesses. They're just putting on Facebook under their real names. They think there's no chance of getting caught. And it's got to be very challenging from an enforcement perspective because not only not only do you have the coronavirus-related measures that you're taking. Christian, you're, you're going to have to close this out. I'm, I'm, I'm losing control here. The person whom you're trying to reach is currently unavailable. Please leave a message after the beep. And so with that, we're going to have an, we're going to have an abbreviated close. So in conclusion, if you're a professional services guy or gal and you serve the cannabis industry, even just a little bit, check out that SBA memo from 2018. And, uh, if you're in Pennsylvania and you own a U-Haul truck, I'm not saying you should, but you have an excellent business opportunity right now. And, uh, don't, don't do that. Don't do anything illegal. But, uh, Tony has been attacked by his, uh, his young three-year-old daughter and that's just the way at home podcast goes. So I'm going to go ahead and close this out as always. Um, thank you for listening. Stay safe, stay healthy. And as always stay compliant.